0: okay very often on this podcast we like to have a good time i mean it's cold cold oatmeal right that's that's what we do but Mm -hmm. every once in a while something happens that we want to talk talk to some reporters about um a bad situation a tragic situation to get their get their take um we did this with the nasser scandal uh with matt and we did this with january 6th and uh andrew egger from the dispatch today On the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, we're going to talk to Beth LeBlanc from the Detroit News and Rachel Louise Just from uh, WWMT-TV in Kalamazoo. They were on Michigan State's campus on February 13th and uh, reported what they saw and what they heard, and uh, we're going to talk to them about it today. Listen to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. It's true,
1: though. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) Don't yikes me.
2: It was just a a thing that i said
0: <laughs>
3: that i regret
0: <laughs> on a podcast that was recorded that everybody can that was sent out to thousands of people
3: oh. really thousands oh six <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: welcome to cold oatmeal a podcast by the rest strategies team about pr and public affairs really
0: I was distracted staring at Joe's Cold Oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it day. on his desk. It's, his it's always here. It's always here.
2: And by the way, the, the, the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like 1 to 10. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, There's nothing disgusting. One part what's, fruit. What, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it. But it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was
4: your... Say report? that! <laughs>
0: Welcome back. Uh, This is the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This is Matt Resch of the Resch Strategies team. We are a public affairs and a public relations firm uh, headquartered in downtown Lansing, Michigan. You can find all of our podcasts at our website, www rush at rush. I'm, 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 all, I'm all befuddled. I'm all over the place. It's Don't, Friday. It is. It's right. Uh, www at rush I still can't get it. I should just look at the piece of paper. It's written down right here.
1: I would hope you know our website after I know. all these it's, years. It's, it's,
0: half of it is my name. I should know. Um, but you can find our, all of our episodes there. You can learn about our company. Um, you can also follow us on all this, all the socials, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at rest strategies, and this little podcast has a Twitter account of its own, at Cold Oatmeal Pod. So today, like I said in in the intro, um, we are going to take a little bit of more serious turn. Uh, One of the things that I I thought we would end up actually doing more of when this podcast started six and a half years ago was talk to uh, reporters more about the, the, the trade of journalism um we we did that early on heck, heck zach gorchow was our first guest to, to help us out with that uh from Gongwer, and he's been on 75 times since so um <laughs> <laughs> to help us learn but today we're gonna we're gonna dig into a little bit uh, behind the scenes of what it was like to be a reporter on the campus of michigan state university on february 13th the night of of terror there was a, a mass shooting there um so I'm going to go around the room here quick, let everyone introduce themselves, and then we'll get into a conversation with, with Beth and with Rachel. So to my left, I've got...
2: Anna Heaton. Laura Beal.
0: Joe Beshey. Joe Beshey's in the house. Our colleagues are, are out and about. Some of them are sick. Some of them are... are or we, we got out. Poor Nick. He said to me this week... Nick's got the plague. Nick says, health is a relative term to me at this point. <laughs> Poor man has been sick for a while. Anyway, so Beth and Rachel are with us Um like I said, Beth has been a reporter at the Detroit News. She covers the state capitol. She's a Michigan native, went to U of M uh, Flint. She has been uh, covering crime. Uh, she covered crime, at, I think, at the Port Huron Times-Herald is where she was. And then she was at the Lansing State Journal before she joined uh, Craig and, the, and Chad over at the Detroit News and covers the state capitol every day. Uh, Rachel, uh, who you found, is a Hoosier, a, a fellow Hoosier. That's um, always good to have her on the podcast. And to get to know her, she went to... Uh, She's a TV reporter, and she uh, first first job in Montana before moving to Michigan, and now she is the statewide political reporter for a, 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 a series of TV stations across the state. In fact, probably uh, more people probably see her political reports for on TV than anybody else in the state. I would I'd venture to guess, and it's nice that she was here. So Beth LeBlanc and Rachel Louise Just. Okay, Beth LeBlanc, Rachel Louise Just, thank you so much for being with us on the Cold Oatmeal podcast. Um, like I was saying at the beginning, this is usually a, a podcast we like to have a little bit of fun on, but have a serious topic we wanted to uh, get with you. We've had a couple of, of episodes over the years where we've kind of dug into some real serious issues um, that, and to get the reporter's perspective of what it was like to cover that. We talked to uh, Matt Mancrini from the State Journal back when he and all the work that he did covering the Larry Nasser. Uh, situation at MSU Um, we talked to Andrew Egger from the dispatch who was at the Capitol on January 6th um, and what he witnessed at at all of that and so on February 13th the two of you were um, my first question I wanted to ask is like what were you doing on February 13th before anything happened at Michigan State but I wanted to kind of just get your perspective on, on what it was like to cover that horrible horrible evening so what, February thirteenth, Monday night, right? What Beth? What what were you What were you supposed to be doing? What were you doing? <laughs> what exciting things in Lansing were planned?
5: I had actually just driven down from Alpena because um, they had sent me up to Alpena on the off chance that we could cover the the balloon that was shot shot down right. over Lake Huron. Mm. Um, it was a wild goose chase. But uh, by the time I got back um, down to Lansing. Um, yeah, I had been home for a couple of hours and then, you know, the, the text went out to students and somebody forwarded it on to Craig Mauger, my coworker. And then, um, we, we left and we, we went to campus.
0: Okay, Both you and Craig.
5: Yeah. And there was a producer too. So we all kind of left from our respective locations and we're at different, um, locations across campus.
0: Okay. Rachel, how about you? What was, what did you have on the agenda that night?
3: Yeah, actually, it's kind of similar to Beth. I was far away that day. Um, I had set up a story I wanted to work on about PFOS in Oscoda, so I had gotten there that night. was supposed to do the next couple of days there. I got the text. Um, variety. We got into planning meetings with everyone, and um, I had people, you know, reaching out to me saying this is more serious than. You maybe maybe it's being reported right now. So uh, eventually, just checked out of my hotel, drove as fast as I could down here, and got right onto campus.
0: So in both cases, you heard about it from the text about the text that went out to students. You didn't you didn't get anything directly from the universities, right? As you, I got a text from the from the school. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So where do you go? I was I was thinking it's like, um, we live. You know, I live maybe three four miles from campus right in between where the state police headquarters are and, and campus. And so it felt like for 45 minutes, it was just this constant stream of, of sirens blazing down 496. And, I, and it's chaos. When you get to campus, where, how do you figure out where you're going to go and what you're going to do? You know, where do you station?
5: Yeah, so I, I wasn't listening to scanner traffic that night, but people at work were. So the editors were saying, oh, they're setting up a command hub at Cowles, which means that's where you'd go to access police and get information directly from them. So I headed that way. I ended up parking uh, right by the Broad. Um, and somehow I it was like before they shut down all the roads and everything. So um, once I got in, I couldn't really get out at that point um but i got out of my car and i started walking towards um you know Cowles, and automatically two two like swat team members start jogging up to me and i was kind of like oh shoot like they they don't know who right. who the suspect is like they could be and sure enough as soon as they got to me they were asking who are you what are you doing here where were you a half hour ago um you know and then once i said oh i'm media I'm trying to get to the command hub they said you have to go across the street over on the other side of grand river so i stayed there for a while and then eventually they weren't stopping people who came back over so i stayed at um berkey most of the time okay right outside there so
0: so just standing just standing to see who yeah observing I mean, what's going on and talk
5: yeah and like um you know like responding back to editors i mean at that point what Because police are so busy with everything they're doing. I mean, all you're doing is really observing and reporting back. So reporting that, you know, there are dozens of SWAT team members um, on campus and that, uh, you know, that it's eerily quiet on campus and yet chaotic Mm -hmm. at the same time because they were getting so many follow-up calls it turned out to be false because I wasn't there when the initial shooting took place, but all of those follow-up calls, I mean, they were responding to them and so it would be so quiet on campus and then all of a sudden you just hear, you know, sirens like screaming down the road, um, pickup trucks going down Grand River, conservation DNR officer pickup trucks with, you know, six SWAT team members in the back. Um, yeah, so it was just... So it's like reporting all of that. And then also kind of weighing like what you don't report, right? Like at that point, you don't really know who's watching your tweets or watching the story. We had like very little information about the suspect. So it's like, do you give away police positioning on campus? Do you, you know, um, yeah, I guess there's a lot of decisions that you have to make in that moment about what you do report, what you don't report um and you're also getting like a ton of reports in like students texting pictures of swat team members thinking that it was the suspect when it's clearly like but Mm -hmm. i mean you know they're panicked like I, i get it um so yeah there is there is a lot of that uh for probably like an hour or two just where you're trying to puzzle through and create a scene so that people can understand like what's happening there
0: Rachel, where did you go? Did you have a similar situation? Or?
5: Yeah, I I had heard that you, the union was kind of a hub,
3: so I just drove and kind of parked by the East Lansing City Hall and just ran down towards that way, and the way you describe it is exactly what it was. It was chaotic, but eerily quiet. It's just.
0: The whole town fell. I mean, I'm like, yeah. like I was standing in my backyard and you could faintly hear this, all, this, all the chaos and sirens from five miles away, but it was so still at the same time. It was this very bizarre combination of the two. Yeah, sorry, yeah, exactly. You, but...
3: No, no. Yeah, that's it's exactly how it felt. And so ran straight to the union. And I mean, I've never seen so many law enforcement, you know, EMS vehicles in my life. I mean, there had to have been a hundred, I think. And you know, so the whole the whole street is just lit up, but there's no one on it, um, and I just really distinctly remember the sound of the crossing, um, where it's like, "Please wait," and then it kind of has like the the ticking sound, and that was the only sound you could hear. So just really eerie, and again, at the same time, you don't know where, you don't know if the guy is hiding in the bushes somewhere. They didn't know where he was at that point. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I was, and then I kind of. Like Beth, I was not listening to the radio. I kind of made that decision based on we had a producer doing that, and um, I I thought it was not going to be useful for me to do that. It would probably be better to focus on what I saw in front of me. So about half an hour after I got there, they these all like a bunch of them started going towards Lansing, and I just had a gut feeling. I was like, I think something's happening over there. And then a couple minutes after that. We got word that something was happening in Lansing, so that's where we went.
0: So you got up, you left, then you you went yeah. to, to where they were in Lansing. Yeah. So how do you, in this situation, um, balance your own personal safety, and feelings of panic? Because you're standing in the middle of this, and like you said, you didn't know if he was behind, you know, under a bush or behind the bushes does that play into your thinking at all about keeping yourself out of harm's way or are you focused does the job kick in and is that what you're focused on
3: I'll go <laughs> um I I um I like to think that I do f- keep myself safe but um, I think I realized that day that I I prioritize other things over my own safety because I yeah I parked and I started running towards campus and then I saw a guy in plain clothes come out with a Massive gun out of the shadows and was completely convinced I was gonna die. I was like, this is him. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think and I didn't tell people where I was going and I didn't bring anyone with me. Um, And it was, you know, just law enforcement, but you don't know that at the time. Um, Someone later said, you know, like, even if it's not real, it's still trauma, it's still real trauma. Um, Because I know every student is pretty much feeling that because they thought he was everywhere on campus. So everyone felt like they were gonna die that night. So yeah, it was, it was difficult and I, I think I realized in that moment I was like, I can't do this the way I, I did it today if this happens again. And statistically it might, I can't do this this way. And I think, um, I think there were other reporters who I was kind of, I kind of got there and they were like, why did we do this this way. But you just kinda get in your head, you're mm-hmm. like I have to cover this, I have to make sure everyone's okay, I have to tell people what's going on. And sometimes that kind of overrides safety.
0: What would you What would you do differently?
3: I think I would've picked up a coworker or even just like someone that I knew that would've been in the area. Um, I think I would've like brought my pepper spray, I had it in the car. Um, but I think even just having that would've made me feel better. Um, yeah, I, I guess, that's actually not something I've thought a ton about, but it's it's something I'll do differently in the future.
5: It wasn't something I thought about until like I was there for half hour or whatever, and then um, my mom texted me and was like, you better not be on MSU's campus. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, shoot. And I, I felt bad in that respect because family was aware, and it was, uh, I think, a little nerve-wracking for them. Um, but yeah, I think... I think like constant awareness in those situations, Um, you know, part of the job is observing everything around you and kind of reporting that back, but also observing like who is around you. Um, And I know there, yeah. And, and also like, I guess, so when I started out in reporting, I was a crime reporter for four years. So like, I'm, I'm a little bit used to going to scenes like that. I think that, Obviously, this is a whole nother realm because I feel like any other scene I've gone to in the past, I felt like when you got there, even though we came like as soon as we saw heard scanner traffic about a possible, you know, um, homicide or something like that, like when you got there, things were under control for the most part. Either they had the suspect in custody or they were long gone and this had happened two days ago and they just got to the scene or... Um, they had traffic closed down or and this was like so different in the sense that it was not under control by any <clears throat> stretch of the imagination. and that's not an impeachment on the police either. It was just the the nature of the thing that they were getting so many calls afterwards. So yeah, I think i I felt like a little bit um like a, a little bit out of place when I got there and like, what do I do and And who is the point person to go to in this situation? Because they were all responding at that point. Um, So yeah, I I think just like kind of constant awareness of of who's around you, watching everybody who's approaching you. I remember a couple of times when I was walking towards um, Berkey, there were uh, like photographers who were pulling out their packs from cars. And I was like, shoot, like what are they pulling out? Um, Because, you know, it's like, For some of them, it's a very long lens and a very long package. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't know. So there are little things like that that, in retrospect, seem stupid. But then when you're in that moment, you're kind of just constantly aware and overthinking things. And yeah.
1: So in a way, I mean, you guys were kind of just like the first responders you know you were there there were all the police and I mean you were reporting what was happening and getting the information out to the public obviously you know like our you know our friends in EMS they're you know we're on on site to help people who are physically injured but like you guys were right there and right in it too which I mean you don't usually think about like reporters being the ones that are you know right there in it to take care of during a crisis. So do you think that was different, like in this instance, because it was so ongoing? Or do you think that's how it always is? And we just don't really realize it?
5: Um, I mean, we're often kind of, I, I feel like in those situations, we're often kind of in the middle of everything. And you just kind of try to be a fly on the wall observer and stay out of people's way. I mean, and that that was something that I felt like, yeah, we were in the middle of it. But I also realized, like, our job kind of falls behind the response that had to be made at that mm-hmm. point. So you just kind of stand back and let other people do their work and, and report what you're seeing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely, what at least from my perspective, what I was doing really pales in comparison to what police and right. and emergency responders were doing that day. But yeah, you are kind of in the middle of it, and you try to stay out of the way and, and do the best you can to and and i mean i think too like even in that moment you have like a little bit of guilt like am i just in the way at this point or like mm-hmm. and it, definitely i mean as much as possible you try to stay out of the way and not interfere with anything but i also think you know we were i was getting texts from people in dms like just heartbreaking pe- people who had family members on campus whose phones weren't working that day or whose dad was a professor who she couldn't get a hold of and so it kind of brought it home that like what information i can get out i should get out and like to 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 do the best we can to to get whatever little nugget of information we can to people so
0: there was a There was a bit of a side story playing out that night um, amongst the, the press corps um, because, and correct me if I get this wrong, but I, I think it was a reporter for the state news who was tweeting out um, scanner traffic information, and then a number of reporters were like, "Hey, man, we that's we don't do that. We can't tweet out. We can't report scanner traffic because it's not a reliable source." And a little back and forth. How. First of all, can you talk a little bit about the scan, the rules of scanner traffic in, in journalism? But second, I'm also curious how you do figure out um, because Twitter is now Twitter is now your breaking news. The way that uh, that's how I realized you were both there, and I followed what you both were saying it was not because of things that were posted on your TV's website or at the Detroit News, but because of what you both were tweeting out how do you figure out what you're going to tweet and what you're not going to sit on and what information you're observing and hearing um and and how you're going to check that out knowing you could be sending people into the you know the concern of those texts that you're receiving so uh, uh, clear up the scanner thing first like i guess it makes sense that yeah it's just ran it's just a reporting it's of you know the calls that are coming in none of it's verified but can you beth can you touch
5: on that yeah so like so for example my first four years were in crime right mm-hmm. that i worked in you know that sounds awful i didn't work in crime, <laughs> but i covered crime um at like a local paper so like we constantly had the scanner running right all day every day it was it took a while to get used to because you have to make calls with that running in the background and um the number one rule was you do not report what you hear on the scanner um now, I did not know that in college. I've never been working for a college paper when that college is attacked by a gunman. Right. So I don't want to to criticize what the state news did at all. Um, I think they were doing the best they could in that situation. But yeah, I mean, I've through those four years, it was that you never reported. Unless, like, let's say... Let's say uh, there's a huge crash on 69 or whatever, and they shut down all the freeways around there. We might tweet out like, hey, don't go on 69 because it's very apparent. So um, so I guess, yeah, going into that, I mean, that's that's always been um, that's always been in the back of my mind responding to scenes like this is that, you know, there are a lot of. Uh, There's a lot of incorrect information on the scanner just because they have to be pushing through so much information, you know, like they how awful if they screened out a tip, right, that they got and then it ended up that that was real at the end of the day. Like they have to put everything on the radio so they're able to be fully informed, Um so, yeah, I, I guess that that day being there, I wasn't listening to the scanner traffic, but we were um, editors were conveying some of it to me. Um, and, and I clearly recall at one point them sending me a photo that a student had taken and was going around on social media of three people with Kevlar and long guns walking through campus. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people saw it. And our editors were like, they think there's more than one gunman. And I, I was like, please do not report that out. We don't even have to make a call on it. Like, I can tell you that every police officer here is dressed like that. Like, they're in plain clothes, they have long guns, they have helmets, they have Kevlar, like... So it was it was that kind of stuff. And and other stuff, too, is like, um, when in doubt, leave it out, basically. Like, if if there's a doubt in your mind that this isn't correct then then don't put it out there um so i i guess there there was but yeah i mean there there was stuff too or we probably we err on the side of caution and not report it or um i don't know or you just feel like okay like this is a general observation that anybody would be able to observe at this scene right now um this kind of paints the scene and lets people understand like this is what it looks like outside this is this is where things are at so, yeah, it's it's a hard call to make, though, especially in a time crunch situation mm-hmm. like that.
0: Rachel, as far as the from a TV perspective, can answer the same question from like a TV perspective, because you're, you're obviously a completely different medium. You know, Beth has to put a bunch of words on a website. You're, you're looking to probably go live at some point. How are you? How are you figuring out what you're going to share and, and, and what you're going to not?
3: Pretty, pretty similar process, um, yet yeah, don't tweet out skin traffic is, is a pretty common rule, but like Beth said, I did not learn that right away. I also didn't study journalism in college, so maybe that is taught some places, but um, that's pretty much a rule, and it's an unfortunate situation too because I think emotions are just really high with everyone, um, and when you're a journalist and your instinct is to report on things, I think it would be really hard to stifle that urge to not inform people about something that you're hearing about. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm really um, hesitant to criticize State News and and that journalist in particular because um, I think that sometimes your trauma response can be to try and inform and that's a great thing. In this case, it ended up being a bad thing, I think. Um, But at the same time, we were all just trying to do our best and you kind of don't really know how to do your best in that kind of situation, so um, I just feel really sad for the students who were listening to scanner traffic themselves or saw, you know, a tweet or something, and they thought that it was real because the police said like there was an added la- layer of chaos on campus. I think they said hysteria at some point was the word they were using to describe what campus was like because everyone thought there was a shooter everywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's just really difficult when you're on the ground in that moment. And I think we do need to give people grace for what they do during those times. But I I would hope that in the future we all approach it in a different way Um, because, like I said, statistically, this could happen again. So... um, I think that, yeah, we all kind of learned a certain way to do things that night.
2: Did you talk to any students on campus that night? I did, yeah. I actually spoke with some people from Rochester Hills,
3: so they were from Oxford, like near Oxford. Um, One of the first people I walked up to, and they were like, this is the second time we've experienced something like this, you know? We weren't in Oxford, but new people there were really close by, we went on lockdown. And then, you know, when that picture of the kid with the Oxford Strong sweatshirt that kind of came out and went a little viral. Like, yeah, I think that was where a lot of people's minds who've been here for the last year and a half went was, okay, this is happening again. And probably we're going to run into someone who had a tie to Oxford in some way.
1: Do you think it's a good thing that people can listen to, you know, listen to the scanner traffic themselves and you know either put it out there or in general make their own assumptions or you know even just all the information all misinformation that was out there on Twitter like do you think that creates more hysteria and or makes it harder for you guys to do your jobs I just it makes me I feel like Twitter is usually a good thing but I feel like in cases like this social media made things worse at least that's my opinion
5: I mean As a journalist, I'm never gonna, um, I'm never gonna advocate that like we tamp down sources of information or, or, but I think like when you're listening to something like that or when you're on social media is just to be like an educated listener or an educated, like to know that a lot of that is going to be misinformation at first or is going to be, um, I guess just to take it with a grain of salt in a lot of cases and. yeah, I don't know. I'm because it is it is helpful. I mean, you know, like, it is helpful to know, for example, where the command hub was like where I should go when, when nobody has time to spare to to tell you where to go. And and rightfully so they don't have, uh, you know, it's not a top priority to, to let you know where where most people are going to be located. Um, so it's helpful to get direction like that. The other thing is that I don't know all the mechanics of but i think it's like a a radio frequency so i think it would be difficult to like shut off access to that scanner traffic unless mm-hmm. they're to find like a private line or whatever so yeah i don't know
3: yeah i i think um at least when I, when I would go to things in montana before i came here they do have like second lines they can go to i think if people understood that scanner traffic is not confirmed i think that was a big problem is like The everyday college student who is listening in that night,
1: Mm -hmm.
3: I mean, why would you, how would you know, yes, scanner traffic is not confirmed? You just assume if it's on there that it's what's happening. Right. Um,
0: Well, how many people have ever listened to a scanner? Exactly.
3: Yeah. So, of course, like if that's what you're doing, if you've found the way to get to the scanner, you're assuming you're going to get direct information. So it's very, it makes sense that people would make that mistake and think that the things that they're hearing are legitimate. So, Maybe education's a good thing um, at some point, just kind of letting people know like everything here and there is not exactly totally happening. But I think more importantly is you can listen to scanner traffic. You could not, you know, I think in this case, maybe it wasn't a good thing, but to each their own. I think more important is just whatever you're doing, don't be making decisions based on scanner traffic. I think like when I've talked to security experts since the shooting, they, like, they've like they told me the best thing you should do is is like, stay in place so like as long as people are like staying in place I guess it's a personal decision to listen to traffic but I would be it would be horrible if someone was sheltered in place they heard scanner traffic and then they like got on campus and were like out in the open like that would be a horrible thing so um I'm just glad that that it sounds like there wasn't a situation where that happened
0: so let's move ahead a little bit in, in the night so I don't know when things started to feel a little more calm there maybe it was when you said that you got the sense that people were moving towards lansing but like like the first briefing gets announced i think it was like 11 or so 11 12 o'clock at night and you've gone now from standing outside a building to now you're going to a press conference and, and a briefing walk through that process of the kind of that shift in the situation from now you're observing to now you're going to listen to people talk about what's what happened do you, have a, do you have a do you what's your what's your goal going into that of what you're trying to find out?
5: Yeah, I mean, so the thing that sticks out most in my mind is like, for me, going to that press conference was when it really hit me, because I feel like there was so much confusion on campus that night. And we had at that point, we had confirmed like one fatality. So I think prior to the press conference, I had convinced myself that there was that. Maybe this; these were a lot of false calls, and this was like a domestic or whatever, like where the person knew the other person, which is still awful, but it's a lot less than a mass shooting. And I had been trying to get a hold of Sparrow while I was on scene. And when I got to the press conference, I called them again, and they said, okay, yeah, we're, we're ready to confirm that there are f- five injured here. And I think that's when... Um, it kind of hit me that like, wow, this is no, this is for real. this is a mass shooting. And so that was um that was, and that was right before the press conference started. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like you know the the press conference, we knew it would be an opportunity to get information out that people had just been desperate for and um, confirmed information and and like details that that we could give them. So, I think you, for me at least, when when I got there, it was just like you had to hunker down and get all that information out. And you kind of had to put a, aside the shock of like five injured and just um, get all, all the information out as quickly as you could. And um, yeah, so it's kind of. I don't know you have to you have to really focus during stuff like that cuz you're also thinking of questions but then there's just this flood of information coming at you luckily I mean I had a ton of people watching on the back end too so even though I was there they were able to kind of help like update the story and everything so um if if I miss something which is really like when that much information is coming at you it's easy to do they were able to kind of pick up the slack there and say like hey they didn't mention this can you ask about this or we had other questions um, in our hat too that we had for him. So, um, yeah. So that I feel like you feel like you're doing more in that sense because for the first couple hours it was like you were just observing and thinking like this is very confusing. Like I don't, I don't know what to report at this point. Um, so that was it, it. Was a little bit of a relief to finally get that information out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I
3: had a different situation. I didn't go to the press conference. We had our Flint team come down. Um, so I went to the scene where, uh, the, they found this, the subject. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Was there any, was there any media, media interaction at that? Did they do any briefing or any kind of talking to you or was that just, you were just observing?
3: No, they, um, by the time we got there, they were kind of just trying to hide the body and stuff. Okay.
0: So at what point? in the night do you go home <laughs> um you because know, you know I, I i went to sleep and things were still very much up in the air at what point do you either get relieved by a colleague to come in and say you've been at this for a number of hours go take a break or do you say i'm not getting i'm not getting anything more or there's nothing more to report here tonight were you up all night as
5: Yeah, well, the press conferences, they were holding like basically every hour. So um, the first one was at 11, and I think they had three, it's kind of a blur, but I think they had three that night. So I think the last one was at like 1.30. So after that, they said, okay, the next press conference is at like eight, the next eight or nine the next morning. So I think I left around 2, 2 2.30. And uh, yeah, and, and at that point, I mean, we didn't have any more information. And and we were able to. I mean, I think if the if the suspect were still at large at that point, I think it would have been a later thing. Mm-hmm. But because they were able to confirm that, you know, there was one suspect, he was dead. Um, we felt okay, kind of leaving at that point around two or two two thirty. So yeah.
3: um, for us, I had to get ready for our morning shows, so I went home at like ten a.m.
0: Okay, so you yeah. you up you were up, the, and so then you didn't. Did you do live shots that morning then?
3: Yeah, I think I had like 15 live shots I had to do. So just trying to power through those. But um, yeah, we, we, after, yeah, all the press conferences, we went, we were trying to get interviews with students who were willing to talk or if they wanted to talk. um, And then was just trying to kind of coordinate things for the next couple of hours. And then I think our, our show started at like
0: 4.30. Now, I know that neither one of you went to Michigan State. Um, but I know you have colleagues who did have you talked to them or I'm curious what the the feeling of having to cover something like that at a place that you're so familiar and it's one thing for a reporter to come and observe maybe someplace you've never been or people you don't know but to come and to have to do your job at a place that you feel very affectionate love you know good memories whatever it is for how, how do you and maybe you've had maybe you two have had to do something like that, you know, in your reporting over the years. But have you talked to any of them, how they how they balanced their kind of personal feelings for the institution and the people there with what was happening? Did they kind of check put put it to the back of their mind? Like like you said, you put your personal safety to the kind of the, to the side and, and did your job.
3: I think the people I've talked to, yes, like we do have a way to compartmentalize But you can't sustain that for very long. Um, And when you're covering something for like two weeks, like I think I covered MSU straight every day for two weeks. Like I saw my friends who went to MSU. It did take a toll on them. A couple of them were like, I just can't cover it today. Or like um, I know someone who was working on a story and like went to just kind of sit down for a second and like fell asleep for like three hours because they were just so exhausted from everything. Um, So I think... I think um particular when I wanna highlight Emily Lawler did a story. Mm-hmm. She was on campus that night and she had some really insightful tweets and and reporting about being having to utilize the things that she learned at school about her own school being mm-hmm. in a shooting. And yeah, it's really hard. Um I think that it, it does take a toll on people, especially like I said, when it's a sustained thing. They have to constantly be doing it. They have to like see themselves in these kids um and and know that also that their college experience is going to be really different now
5: yeah i haven't i haven't talked to to too many but i i can't imagine i mean and i i know some of them have have shared on social media just yeah that you know the the calls that the buildings that police are getting called out to you know that was their dorm room or that was they had a class in in Berkey or they have memories at the union and yeah I I can't imagine um what they're going through I mean and over the years I've been on MSU's campus a lot being in Lansing but it's a whole nother level when they basically lived in and spent all their days there so
1: yeah I mean I I obviously you know I went there and you know, I, I live a good 20 minutes away, so I wasn't at home in, in any you know specific fear. But just like you said, hearing the places that I used to walk and, you know, go to classes and, um, you know, even where my <clears throat> where my dorm was, that was that's just alarming. Like I that Michigan State was a safe haven for me. So I just can't imagine I can't imagine having to go there as as a reporter if having you know in general but having gone there like it just like you know rips the rug out from underneath you i would think
0: so reach one last question maybe for the both of you um on this you said you covered msu for two weeks afterwards how do there's always this kind of insatiable desire for more information for people who are in the community who are affected they want to know more um at what point do you feel, do you say, you know what, I think the story's over. I think we're done. I think, you know, I, I'm, I've pulled enough strings here to, I've pulled this thread, this thread, and there's not much left here to, to do.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's hard because maybe this, maybe this sounds bad, but in my mind, I had a lot of hours that night where I was just sitting in my car or standing on the side of the street, and I was thinking about, What's our coverage gonna look like? What do we need to do? And I was thinking, okay, well, once they catch the guy, we're gonna be needing to cover his trial and all of this stuff. And so then when we found out that he was no longer alive, it really shifted, when does the story end? Because in my heart, I don't want to move on from something when I know that people haven't moved on from it either. I don't want it to be a two week thing, and then we just are like, "Oh yeah, it's the one year," you know. Right. I do want to be covering it consistently, but it's also difficult because I think we all saw how coverage had impacted students and press had impacted students. So um, it's just a really delicate line to to walk because. Yeah, there weren't new updates after a couple of days, but there was a lot coming from students. They had a lot they wanted to say, and a lot they were feeling. And I feel like when they stop talking, maybe that's when the story's over. And I, I've noticed them not talk as much lately. And you know, maybe we just take the lead from
5: them a little bit.
0: Beth, is there a, pers- a different perspective from a, a print a report, a newspaper perspective?
5: Yeah. No. I I think it's a I think it's a really important observation that. The impact that this work has had on students and and for people who you know families who are affected by this or whatever um, understanding the impact there and um respecting it too I think yeah i in terms of coverage, I mean, you know, the next three or four days afterwards, I was helping with a lot of it then other members of our team were kind of pitching in because the the state government got so busy that we kind of had to shift our focus and, but then, you know, a lot of the protests are are happening in Lansing. A lot of the, uh, gun control legislation is moving through Lansing. So there's like, there's not, there's not really a way to get away from it right now. Um, and not saying I'm trying to, but like with all of this legislation going through and the committee testimony and everything, you're kind of pulled back into it. But yeah, I mean, to me, like there's, there's also like for, for some of the information we wanna report, there's a little bit of a waiting period, right? And we know like it's going to there's going to be new news released a week from now or two weeks from now or documents we get three weeks from now or recordings that we get, you know, two days from now. I mean this this morning MSU just put out a right. new information on it. So yeah, I think it's it's knowing that it, it's we're going to be reporting on it for a long time. I mean, I feel like we're still reporting on Oxford more than a year and a half later and, and rightfully so, right. There's a lot of, um, I think information that still needs to come out about that too. So, um, it's, it's going to be a long haul. Yeah. So,
0: well, I, I, is, there's never really an easy way to do this, but I did want to shift gears quickly because I was, you know, Rachel and I had we haven't met until this morning, so I was doing a little digging around and discovered you were you're a Hoosier, which is awesome. We <laughs> like. the, the Cold Oatmeal Podcast loves Hoosiers, especially even though a boiler. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll give you a break on that one, but I did find though, and I need to get the story from you on the viral video that was posted oh, no. on your <laughs> TV station's website of you trying to shoot a basket on camera and finish that story we'll we'll link to it maybe so people can can maybe we make it go viral again um but what what happened tell me the story behind that that clip
3: i guess i'll reveal something that i haven't told people which is that that was a bit i was doing (laughs) like i think I thought it was obvious. I, did, I we didn't even I it felt like
0: it. I mean we it, didn't even
3: air that. I just did that for myself. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I was sitting there waiting for an interview to start and I was like, you know, it'd be funny if I did for my stand up if I shot the basketball and I was like, I know I couldn't make it. And I was like, that's funny. I should do a video <laughs> of me not making it. So I was like throwing the volleyball at it. Like I thought it was so funny and then I posted it online and everyone was like, this is this is great and then it got outside of the journalism circle and everyone's like You suck at basketball. (laughs) You are so not athletic, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's the joke. Um, But yeah, it's it's funny how like that of all things, like I wasn't wearing any makeup, I didn't do my hair. I was like, it was just something I posted that I thought was funny, and like it went on Ellen. So, it went on oh, Ellen? Yeah, Ellen did, Ellen did a story on it. So it's well, like,
0: I thought the, the, the funniest part, and Laura and I were talking about this this morning, is the, the different sports metaphors that had yeah. nothing to do with basketball that you used every time you shot it. I know. Like, this is going to be a home run.
3: I was like, I'm so funny. And then, I, and then, I got, and then it got online, and everyone's like, you're an idiot. So that was, <laughs> Well, it's even funnier
1: now that we know it's it yeah. a bit. Yeah.
0: Well, it, you know, there's there's no one has a sense of humor on, on yeah. Twitter. And like, I think I'm trying to bl- I'm blank on the name, but there's a, a, an account I follow. I think it's three three year letterman. It's a guy who pretends he's a, a, like a middle school football coach. And he he's hilarious, but it's all it, it's all he gets stuff wrong and he tweets about politics and he knows he's getting it all wrong. But the, the wrath that he gets of <laughs> people just calling him stupid. And he's like, I, <laughs> I know it's a joke, man. It's fine. Yeah. That was
3: funny. People don't, it's it's funnier to to bag on someone. So where
0: were you when, was that, were you in, you were in Montana, was that in Montana that that happened? Yeah, I was in Montana.
3: Okay. Um, The story behind that is, that was the first big story I had in Montana was a roof collapse there on this gym at the university, Michigan State University, sorry, Montana State University. Um, And it would have like, killed dozens of people had it happened like three hours earlier, but it happened in the middle of the night, just too much snow, and it just collapsed. So they had to build like a new gym, but in the meantime, for like four years, they had like an inflatable gym, so that inflate, which is a thing, <laughs> apparently. Um, and it's actually really cool, like it's very hard to puncture, it's like you walk inside and it's beautiful. Um, and I was just talking about how the gym was opening up, and that's how that happened. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, that's funny. That's so funny. Well, I appreciate you both taking the time to stop by, Beth. This is your second your second trip to the Cold Oatmeal it, Studios. This we're, is. we're actually in the studio. We, were, uh, we had so many people last time we had to do it in the conference room, and we promise we we're not going to ask you any predict. I should have gone back to find what your predictions were. <laughs> I
5: know. I was for, thinking you, about that, too. I don't remember what it
0: was. Because it was December of 2019, and we did a prediction show with you and Emily Lawler. And Kyle uh, Kyle Malin from MERS and asked a bunch of stupid questions, pulled stupid questions out of a hat and asked you guys to make predictions (laughs) three months before one one of the most the the most unpredictable thing ever.
1: I'm pretty sure all of our predictions were (laughs) incorrect. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure one of them was about, like, what's the biggest story of
0: 2020 (laughs) and and jokes on
1: all of us. I think we said the gas taxers.
0: That's a big one. Anyway, well, I appreciate you both stopping by. Um, uh, Beth LeBlanc from the News and Rachel lewis Juss from uh, WWMT, uh, statewide uh, political reporter for the TV station. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll be right back.
4: These are the moments when I love you the most. These are the days when life it's harder i know Well everyone's inside with someone on their mind together we'll weather the storm together
0: well i'm not sure i have a ton to add to that great conversation um learned a lot from from the two of them they're both both wonderful i hadn't met rachel before it was nice to know her and, and and hear what was going on that night it was crazy
1: i i can't imagine being in that situation
0: i i i can't get over the the fact that and it wasn't really until they were talking that i thought you know when beth was like i'm, I'm standing outside the building mm-hmm. and all the cops are running around and, and when rachel ran into a guy on, on uh, you know plain closed cop with a gun, thinking it was the end of end for her. I mean, that's that the personal the personal um, danger and harm that they were in is amazing, and the fact that they were doing their job it's impressive.
2: I mean, yeah, getting in your car and going to campus, knowing there's someone on the loose who is trying to kill people, right? Is it just who who can do that? Yeah, you know, and there are people who can. So, yeah, I mean, I had friends and family texting me, you
1: know, saying like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? I'm fine. But I mean, to them, people who don't live in in this area, they're like, well, you you live right there. I'm like, no, I live 20 minutes north of there, but I was like, I mean, yes, of course, I was, you know, sad and it was, you know, freaky that all that was happening, but...
0: But yeah, but like I said, like I came home and our, our house, went, my wife had deadbolted the whole house because, you know, we didn't know w- what was going on at the point, that point and where someone might be going next. And so even if you are four or five miles, six miles, 10 miles down, yeah. you know, and he was walking towards DeWitt when he got right. caught, right? And he lived by the airport. Yeah. He was walking that way. So...
2: So I didn't go to Michigan State, but I lived less than half a mile from campus and... So our we were locked down as well. It wasn't just campus. And I almost fell for the scanner thing because I have a friend who lives even closer to campus, like a block or two away, and was alone. And I was like, do you want me to come get you? And I was like, I don't really know if I want to leave. And then when there were shots reported like on South Campus, I was like, okay, I think I'm good to come get you. Find out later that he basically shot a bunch of people and then trucked it north. Mm-hmm. just left campus that whole time they were looking for him on campus. He was not on campus and later come to find out through security footage. He walked half a block from my house. So
1: it's so freaky.
2: It, yeah. I mean, it's, there is like, I think I've felt genuinely scared for my life twice in my life. And that was one
4: yeah.
2: of two times. Yeah. So even I'm not, I mean, not to take away from any trauma, anyone on campus experienced, but it was terrifying. I felt like I was in a war zone between the sirens and the helicopters and yeah, I didn't sleep that night. Right. It was just, it was was unlike
1: anything we've ever experienced in, in our, our town, in our area. Like, you know, you think of, oh, that's, that happens here and there. That's not going to happen here. Well, guess, guess it happened.
0: Well, and Rachel and Beth were there to see it firsthand and and to report on it. And we appreciate them taking some time this morning to come by the the podcast and talk about it. So uh, Rachel Blanc from the Detroit News. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. <laughs> Beth LeBlanc, <laughs> Beth LeBlanc from the Detroit News. Rachel is just from WWMT. She covers politics for a number of TV stations around the state. Um, great to meet her, and great to have her by. For Anna, for Laura, Joe. This has been Matt, and you've been listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast.
4: Harder I know. Well, everyone's inside with someone on their mind. Together we'll weather the storm. Together we'll weather the storm. Together we'll weather the storm. We've got each other's arms